The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is indeed about uh, six minutes after seven o'clock. Monday is here. That means it's time to talk employment law. And uh, the phone lines, look at that, already open, 416-870-6400, 416-870-6400. You have questions about going back to work. There's a whole lot of people that, uh, with the announcement today from Premier Ford that we're entering into stage two, uh, businesses will be open, patios will be happening, some malls are allowed to be open, depending on the stores inside, who choose to do the same thing. But a lot of people are going to be going back to work. There's going to be a lot of uh, people on tenterhooks and a lot of nerves. But if you have questions about that, if you're an employer or if you're someone who's expected to go back to work and you're still a little gun-shy about it, uh, call us, 416-870-6400. Stan is here to answer your questions. Email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And, of course, anytime you see fit, any time of day, as a matter of fact, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Wonderful website, absolutely free, absolutely anonymous, and a ton of information on employment law that pertains right to you, to us, everybody who works for a living in this uh, in this province in BC, I guess, as well, because uh, we do a similar show there. But uh, get it underway. The week that was, Stan, my brother, how are you? What's going on? Good, good. I mean, certainly a lot of good news with uh, Stage 2. I, I know I'm very much looking forward to getting my hair cut for the first time in three months. <laughs> John, I'm assuming it's not as big an issue for yourself. Can't relate, buddy. Can't relate. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, but, but I did want to start the week that was today with something that happened last week that is quite monumental when it comes to employment law. And I don't say that lightly. It's something that's being discussed in the circles of empl- uh, amongst employment lawyers very, very uh, thoroughly right now. And that's a recent landmark decision from the Ontario Court of Appeal in a, in a case called Waxdale and Sweegan, North America. Okay. So just to give you a little bit of background about this case, John, basically this is a termination clause case. Uh, the argument that was essentially being proposed here to try to invalidate the contract is an argument that goes something like, you know, the contract said that we can terminate you for cause and you get nothing. Now, technically speaking, the Employment Standards Act doesn't actually use the word cause anywhere. It doesn't have any such language. When most people put that little paragraph into a contract, what they're actually referring to is a different section of the Employment Standards Act that says that If we terminate you on the basis of willful misconduct, disobedience, and and or willful neglect of duty that is not trivial and has not been condoned by the employer, that's when they're not allowed to pay you. That's when the employer is not allowed to pay you nothing. Only under those circumstances. And going back a few years, the courts have actually established that those are two different standards. There are certain situations where an employee can be terminated for cause, and under the common law, it could be cause. They get nothing as it relates to their common law entitlements. But at the same time, the court will do a secondary evaluation to determine, well, does this meet this higher standard of willful misconduct, disobedience, and willful neglect? So there have been cases in the past where an individual has been terminated for cause, been upheld as cause under the common law, but not under the Employment Standards Act, and they still get their minimums. So that's the clause that was being at, it was essentially at issue before the court. 
whether a clause that said we can terminate you for cause and, and you get nothing invalidates the entirety of the contract, including the portion of the contract that they were actually relying on, which is the portion that says if we terminate you without cause, uh, we're going to pay you your minimum entitlements like any other employee in Ontario. And so the interesting thing in this particular matter was that the company actually took the position that the clause, the for-cause clause, was unenforceable. They did violate and breach the statute. Uh, and the reason it did that is because all the case law we had up until this point essentially said, yes, you know, it does violate the statute, but if it's part of a different paragraph and the employer is not invoking it, then really we're not going to invalidate the entire contract for some paragraph that's not even being relied upon that doesn't even connect to the paragraph that is being relied upon. And so the employer took the position, that was exactly the employer's position before the Ontario Court of Appeal. Yes, this clause is invalid, but it doesn't matter because we're not relying upon it. Uh, it's We're terminating with cause, without cause, and that portion is, is valid. These are two completely separate paragraphs. And on top of which, we have a severability clause in our pair, in our contract. It says that if there's any portion of this contract that is invalid, you can strike that from the contract, act as if it never existed, and then just keep the rest of the contract whole. And so the Ontario Court of Appeal heard these arguments, and and, and in the, really, the thing that I don't think any lawyer up until about a week ago would tell you they saw coming. They invalidated the clause and the entirety of the contract, including the severability and without cause termination wow. clauses. Yes. Wow. And, wow. and they said, you know, in respect to those two other arguments, they said, A, it does not matter if it's a different part of the, par- of the contract or that's not connected to the without cause paragraph. And it does not matter that the employer is not relying upon the clause at all. And it does not matter that there's a severability clause. Basically, their position amounts to if there is a portion of a contract that can breach the Employment Standards Act, either at the time it was signed, in some hypothetical situation in the future, that is going to invalidate the entirety of the contract. And the reason I say that this is such a landmark and groundbreaking decision is that from my experience, 80 to 90% of contracts in Ontario have some form of that clause, of a clause mm-hmm. saying, if we let you go, then you get nothing. Right. So whether the Material Court of Appeal understood this or not, last week they essentially invalidated 80 to 90% of contracts in Ontario. Wow. No kidding. Yeah. The the uh, number to call in, by the way, 416-870-6400. we got so much ground to cover uh, tonight, Stan. I want to move over to a call as we carry on. Uh, Vanna Hola, uh, good evening. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. What's uh, what's on your mind? Okay, so i got a couple of questions. Number one being the CERB. Um, if somebody's already been on it for like six weeks, does that mean that they're cut off? Is there like a time period that you're only allowed to get it? You are allowed to get the CERB for four pay periods during the lifespan of the CERB. So each pay period is a month, and you get paid $2,000 per month, or four, four weeks, technically. Okay. So if you've been on it for six weeks, you should have uh, at least two to three more pay periods available to you. Okay. So the maximum is the six months. 
the maximum is four pay periods. Uh, the oh, the serve actually runs. Yeah. The SERB actually runs for longer than that, but the maximum any individual can claim is four uh -huh. Okay, gotcha. Number two, my husband is on uh, WSIB. He was he had returned to work um, for three days a week for three hours. Now, since COVID, he has not been to work, and the factory's about to open up, but his psych and him have decided, as well as the doctor, that he's not fit to return back to work. So with all that information going to WSIB, would they then start paying him for those three hours, three days that he was going to work? So he was, he was going to work and then he was deemed unfit? Yes. And, uh, okay, very, I mean, in, Technically speaking, yes, if he is unable to work and it's related to his initial injury that happened at work, uh -huh. he should be compensated by WSIB. Well, that's where I think they're going to have the question, right? Because they're going to say he went back to work and then he stopped working. So what was the intervening event which, uh, which essentially stopped him from being able to continue work? Well, they know that this has been an issue from when he did start going back to work. His doctor wasn't happy. His psych wasn't happy. They mm -hmm. were, you know, like, and he was just kind of pushing himself. He wanted to yeah. get out of the house and, you know, like, try to get better. But unfortunately, it didn't work out that way, and it's just been downhill from there. I'm sorry to hear that. And unfortunately, that's something that occurs uh, more frequently than it should. Uh, WSIB's mandate at the end of the day is to get you off their payroll. Uh, because, every, you know, as soon as you can get back to work, they can stop, start paying you less. So, unfortunately, they do push employees back to work, and it sounds like there's been a relapse in your husband's case. Uh, the best thing you guys can do, honestly, is get your doctors on board, get the best documentation you can ask them to produce, and just keep uh, and keep hounding the WSIB until they come to the right decision. Okay, sounds good. We have all, like, the documentation and everything, and even the fact that, you know, the doctors didn't want him to really go back to work, but he still tried. We have everything. So that's all. That's what we need. We've got it. So just a minute, and, you know, don't get discouraged if WSIB rejects it. Again, keep in mind that they're, you know, they're not there to pay. They're like an insurer. They don't make money by paying out claims. So oftentimes WSIB rejects the first claim to wait to see if you're willing and able to go through the process of appeal. So don't, you know, don't get discouraged. Just keep pushing through. At the end of the day, if your doctor's recommendation is that your husband cannot go back to work, then he is the medical professional. That's who they should be listening to. Vane, appreciate the call. And to carry on, if you want to have a little bit more of a chat with Stan, you can do so. one 821 5900 is the way. Email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. You can always go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. That is a website that is absolutely free. It can be anonymous. You don't have to leave your name there, no credit card, no nothing. You can walk away after using all the resources at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Or there is contact at the top, right? And as well... You can go uh, there and the email address, which we will get to a bunch of those after a short break here. So we'll get into that. The phone calls, 416-870-6400. Don't be bashful. we got open lines. And we will continue on right here on Employment Law Show, Global News Radio. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is 720. We got lots of time for you. 416 870 6400. Our pal Stan Fenzelberg is here handling all of your phone calls. You want to reach out afterwards, you can, uh, you can do so. 1 855 821 5900. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. But always, the, uh, the calls are the top priority. Daniel, thanks for hanging on. How are you? Not too bad, brother. How are you tonight? Beautiful. Good. What's uh, what's happening in your world? How can we help? Well, the question is, uh, I had to, I got laid off um, from my job uh, just before the COVID. Uh, I had four months of unemployment insurance. Uh, mm-hmm. I used up that four months. Now I've just been put on the CERB. Now I've heard that the CERB is going to be cut short. Now, are they going to cut the CERB short and leave me hanging, or are they going to give me three to four months of unemployment after the CERB's been cut off? Uh, well, the CER- uh, I'm not sure where you heard that, Daniel, because uh, the most recent announcement from the government was actually an extension of the CERB by a further eight weeks uh, until October 3rd. Okay, uh, thank you. I was uh, I was I was under the assumption that. Uh, they were cutting those disturbed short. That's what I was told. Uh, no, I mean, there's certainly been a lot of confusion, and uh, the parties have been discussing which way to take it, because obviously certain, certainly the Conservatives feel that's a disincentive for people to come back to work. But ultimately, the, the decision from the Liberal government was that there's going to be an extension. Okay, now, now say that extension goes on. Do I get like the three and a half months that I used up my pokey claim after this CERB is done for me to get employment. So you, you used your EI claim for four months and then they transferred you to the CERB? Yes. You ran out of EI, you're suggesting? Yes, I ran out of EI and I had to apply for the CERB, which they did give me the CERB. Well, if you did, if you topped out and uh, your EI, then certainly after the, after the CERB period is over, then unfortunately you would not be able to go back on EI. Well, then why, why would the government not just give me the CERB right off the hop and after the CERB was done, why would I not go on my regular employment claim then? It, it just seems that I just really just bent over for the government. That's what I'm saying. Well, as you mentioned, you said that you had start, been laid off prior to COVID, and the CERB was something that was only introduced towards the end of March, early April. So, unfortunately, a lot of people did get caught in that kind of gray area where they had been laid off. They were on EI, and the CERB was introduced thereafter. Um, but ultimately, if you've topped out your EI eligibility, you know, it has the same effect. You're going to top out your CERB eligibility, and thereafter, unfortunately, you will have no more uh, government funding programs available to you from the sounds of it. Daniel, got to appreciate the call. Uh, you want to call through just like Daniel, get the information, 416-870-6400. Email is help at employmentlawyer.ca. And that is where we are going to go. Uh, first one up here, pal, says, I was terminated from my employment after 30 years, and I was the operations manager at the time overseeing a warehouse. I was terminated because I was duped into joining a pyramid scheme and recruited people from work before I knew it was a scheme. I'm very regretful for what happened, but I don't think I should lose my job for something like this. What do you think? Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really tough one because, uh, as this individual mentioned, they're an operations manager overseeing all these individuals. And 
from the sounds of it, if he was inducing these individuals to participate in an illegal pyramid scheme, you know, just by virtue, even if there was no intent, just by virtue of the individual's seniority, their position, the juxtaposition of their power over these individuals, that could certainly amount to cause, uh, certainly a common law to lose one's job. But now going back to what I said earlier about the, the dichotomy between cause and Employment Standards Act cause, this to me is a perfect kind of example of that situation where, you know, maybe an individual is guilty of cause at common law, but certainly willful neglect, willful disobedience, uh, those are much higher standards. And again, the key word there is willful. If one doesn't know that they're uh, in being engaged in a illegal right. pyramid scheme, it's certainly hard to, to make the argument that that individual was willfully doing anything. And so I, w- I would suggest that, yes, the common law cause, it's a very difficult argument to say you should still get your common law entitlements, but I definitely don't think it would negate any entitlements you had under the Employment Standards Act. Yeah, it seems kind of weird to suggest that this person went into this, you know, planning to to ruin everybody's life before they even knew what it was. I mean, it wouldn't. Be, it doesn't sound like cause. It does sound like a uh, a weak case for sure. Get to another email here, and we'll get to some uh, some phone calls. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred is the number you want to use to call in, ask your questions, and we'll uh, go over to uh, to Kevin. Hey, Kevin, thanks for uh, calling in. How are you tonight? Hey, Kev. Hey, how's it going? Good. What's up? How can we help? Um, I'm just wondering if uh, I heard, actually, sorry, I heard um, federally, federally regulated severance as to payout was different than just the regular severance. Is that true? Or sorry, you said that what kind of severance is different than regular severance? Sorry, Kev. Again, you're breaking up a little bit. Go ahead. Hey, Kev, you still there? He's still there. Hello? Yeah, Kev, we can. Uh, we didn't get your question. Uh, two different types of severance. Is that what you're talking about? What do you mean? Uh, I, I heard from work, well, guys at work saying, as for severance, uh, very, very regulated uh, severance is different than just a regular severance payout. Is that true? Uh. So I quite I didn't quite catch the question, but I think I know what you're talking about, Kevin. So okay. uh, the word severance, it, it's often used interchangeably and can mean different things in different contexts. There is one particular context in which it means something very specific. And that's with respect to the Employment Standards Act, because under the Employment Standards Act, when someone says you're getting severance under the Employment Standards Act, that is an actual definable entitlement that ha- is conditional upon a couple of criteria. Number one, that employee has to have been there for five years. And number two, that company has to have had a payroll of over $2.5 million. If those two conditions are met, then on top of an individual's minimum notice or termination pay entitlement, they would also get what's specifically called severance pay. And there you get a week per year uh, up to a maximum of 26 weeks under the Employment Standards Act. That, that is in contrast to what we generally call the, you know, the word severance, which is, all, again, often used interchangeably with the words notice or common law entitlements or a package. 
Yeah, it's it's more of a colloquial term just to describe what your employer is offering to you upon termination. Okay. But those you don't want to confuse you don't want to confuse those ESA minimums with your common law entitlements. Don't ever do that. That's 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 the main juxta to this, right? It's not a week's pay per year. Absolutely, because again, the the Severance and the Employment Standards Act—that's the floor. If your if your employer is paying you less than that, that means they're probably doing something illegal. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Kev. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to move on. 416-870-6400. 416-870-6400. Got lots of time. Make your call. Get some answers. Uh, Steve, how are you? Good. You guys? Yep. Not, what's up? Not so good. Okay. Man, the phones are brutal. Everyone's calling from the surface of the moon tonight. Steve, uh, give it to us again. Rogers and Bell. So I've been working for this company for 31 years. I was there since I was 16. I went from the floor to management, and I was let go uh, a week ago. Wow. Did you get anything? Uh, one year. One year. Wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, firstly, I'm sorry to hear that, Steve. Uh, I'm sure that's very difficult after having been with one company for so long. Um, can you tell me how old you were, Steve? I'm 52 now. 52, you've been there for 31 years, and you're in a management-level position. I mean, I can tell you very, very easily that uh, in court, your entitlements are 22 to 24 months without question. And, you know, that's even without asking you about the employment stand, uh, about your employment contract, because as I said at the top of the hour, 80 to 90 percent of contracts are likely invalid. And I'm going to guess that yours is as well, Steve. So, you know, I'm hoping you've signed, you haven't signed anything. Give me a call tomorrow. You've signed you did or no? No, I haven't. No. Okay, good. Just Steve, give us a call tomorrow at the office. Uh, and okay. we will set you up to speak with a lawyer, and they will take you through your options and how we can get you a better severance, because I can guarantee you that is not a fair package for you, and we can certainly do better than that. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate the call. And here is that number to reach out tomorrow to Stan. Remember the team. Uh, don't don't sit back on this. Don't sign anything. Just wait. Make that phone call. one 821 5900 is that number. Email address is help at employmentlawyer.ca. But here and now. Hello there. Don? Hello. Hello? Yes, Dave. Yes. Hey, um, Dave. How are you, man? I'm always good, buddy. Um, good. What's little, up? A little confused about what goes on with WSIB and uh, and um, the everyday, you know, legal crap that goes with it. But uh, February 28th, I was off on WSIB claim because of uh, an explosion at work with uh, biochar and carbon black, where um, I inhaled enough carbon black to to last somebody a lifetime and uh the, it's a lung issue so uh wsi has been dragging this out because they're saying that COVID 19 has caused a bunch of problems but i'm only allowed 15 weeks of unemployment so now my 15 weeks is up and i'm making zero money and i can't get any satisfaction with wsib or unemployment all right have you tried applying for the CERB? Yeah, they told me I wasn't eligible because I was on WSIB or going claiming WSIB. 
Right, because you're, if you're claiming WSIB, it means that you haven't been lost your job because of COVID. Right. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, it sounds like you're in a bit of a gray area right now because, uh, it, you know, clearly you, from the sounds of it, you're WSIB eligible. Uh, do you have any disability insurance through work potentially? Short-term disability, no. long-term? No? No, that, no, that's the problem. Yeah. Right? And uh, like I say, it's, uh, it's definitely a lung issue. Um, I've had a few tests and everything, and they came back saying, yes, it's lung issue, but WSIB wants... Um, more clarification. They keep asking for more, like more or less, like basically blowing me off and just. Um... Yeah, well, as I, as I kind of mentioned to the last caller, WSIB certainly doesn't make this easy for you. Um, you know, there, again, there's the only thing you can really do is kind of work through their process. They are the gatekeepers of the process at the end of the day. Uh, you know, you just need to really kind of hound them. I, it's, it's unfortunate to say, but the best way to get results is to just hound, hound them until they make a decision and keep sending you know. them medical documentation which supports your absence from work. And, and so you know... I, so I've done that, though. That, that's the reason I, I've done this. I've uh, given them everything they need as far as I'm concerned, and and they just keep asking for, okay, they want one of their specialists to look at me, right? Well, I've had three other specialists look at me, and they're still asking for more. So... Is workplace well, safety insurance board for the workplace or the worker? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good question. It's it's technically there to, to protect you, but in reality, I, I really don't find that's how that program works. Yeah, I mean, sorry. what your situation sounds like is not dissimilar to an individual fighting for insurance in a car accident situation where the insurer is refusing to give it to them. You know, sometimes your only option is to take legal action. If WSIB is not cooperating and not being reasonable, especially during a pandemic, asking you to go see a number of specialists who, you know, I'm assuming you probably can't even get an appointment to see because they're not seeing anyone right now. Uh, six, then, months, six months they're claiming. Six months they're claiming to see a specialist down in yeah. uh, Toronto General or something like that. And, uh, like, I, I, this is why people go to the, the underground. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. But again, you do have legal rights to take action against WSIB as well. Um, they can't just negligently refuse to give you what you've essentially been paying into. It's a program that both the employer and employee pay into generally. So, yeah. you know, if you're not making any headway by by banging your head against the door, unfortunately, you may need to get a lawyer involved and have them uh, escalate things. Dave, we're going to let you let you go there. You want to reach out and have a, a better conversation, just uh, maybe get some uh, direction as to where to go next. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That's uh, Stan's number, and help at employmentlawyer.ca to call in, ask your questions. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Mary, thank you for uh, thanks for standing by. How are you? Good, and yourself? Great. What's uh, what's on your mind? Uh, so my question is: Can an employer monitor the that you that an employee works the uh, salary or salary i understand you have a punch clock and they punch in and out mm -hmm. but can they do that with salary people and not a lot of people do know that at home now. Yeah. yeah right monitor your hours i mean when you're working like through a computer just to see are you really working yeah <laughs> Uh, I mean, the reality is that they, you know, if you're there and, you're, and your contract says you're giving them 40 hours a week, 
you know, it may be, it may seem underhanded. It may seem like it's poisoning the relationship, but they are allowed to keep tabs on you. Just no different than, you know, your manager sitting in the corner office overlooking your shoulders sometimes to make sure you're doing what's required. It, it, it sounds unfair, but that's their right to make sure that you are doing what you're being paid to do. Is there a physical oh, okay. mechanism for them to do that? I I think they're they're trying to find out through IT if it can be possible right. to the right. computers. Right. Now, what about you go back to work and they still continue? I guess it's you have no choice as no, an employee, correct? About it, at the end of the day, you're using their equipment, so you, there's okay. no you shouldn't have an expectation to privacy. You know, and okay. this may often used more in the context of don't you know go on social media, don't. Uh, waste uh, time going on various internet websites because I can tell you for certain companies do and can and do monitor that. And I've seen people let go because the company argues that, well, we have uh, a printout from IT that says you've been on social media every day for the last six months, an hour a day. And no, I mean, in, in a vacuum, there's nothing wrong with that, right? No one told you it was wrong. If, you, if no one's complaining about your work, why, why can't an employee you know, who sits in front of a computer for eight hours a day, decide to briefly go and check on their social media accounts. But that doesn't stop the employer from making that argument. And right. certainly not from monitoring your activities in that way. Okay, thank you. It clarifies it. Thank, thank you, me. Mary. Thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for your phone call. I want to get back to a, a couple emails here again. It is help at employmentlawyer.ca. This one says, uh, Stan, I work at a car dealership as a business manager, and I was terminated for cause. That's kind of the theme tonight. Uh, reasons given were that I accidentally left the keys in the door when I closed up for one day and have issues with my driver's license. Is this cause? So so this is an interesting because, on, you know, based on the question, I would say absolutely not. You know, certainly there may be some mistakes that have been made. You know, leaving keys in the door is probably negligent. Uh, but certainly not intentional or willful, if you will. Uh, but the, the thing that I pick up on in this question, John, is that last aspect that says, well, you know, I have issues with my driver's license. Because there, you know, if working in a car dealership, if your job requires you to have a driver's license yeah. and, and you got your driver's license suspended and can no longer drive, it may, you know, it certainly wouldn't amount to cause, but it would potentially be something we call frustration of contract because here through no party's fault the employment contract may not be able to continue so if it is frustration of contract and they they dissolve the relationship do you get any severance or, or nothing uh, in this particular type of frustration of contract then there is no entitlement to any uh, the only there is a one exception when it comes to frustration of contract, and that's in the medical sphere. Uh, if you oh. can no longer continue your job because you are disabled and cannot do your job, then you will be entitled to at least your minimum entitlements. Any right. other type of frustration argument? Now, keep in mind, frustration is a difficult standard to meet. I saw a case in which uh, a warehouse literally burnt to the ground, and that was not frustration because it was rebuilt a year later. So it, it's not something that courts impose very lightly. But gotcha. the Employment Standards Act is very clear in that respect as well. If something is frustration and it's not a medically induced frustration, then mm -hmm. that employee unfortunately gets nothing. 
416-870-6400. That is the number. Moving on to uh, to Big Dave. Hey, Dave, how are you? Well, I've had better years, but thanks for taking <laughs> my call. I appreciate it. No worries. What's up? for all of us, Dave. This question is going to sound like a bit of a soap opera. I'm sorry, but uh, this Love is it. my life right now. Uh, okay. I was at a company uh, 27 years I've been there, and about a year ago, my new boss, I brought him over for dinner. Brought him over for dinner. He was new to the company. Lo and behold, uh, he and my wife get together. We're not together anymore. And now they've brought her into my work, and it makes it, like, uh, extremely difficult Come for me to on. work there now. Wow. Uh, and you've talked to your employer about this uh, uncomfortable situation, and, uh, and they haven't really given you any sort of resolution that you can work with? Yeah, because this is my boss, right? So I got to go to my boss and tell him the situation, which he, which is which he knows already yeah. because he's the he, he's he's part of the problem. To be honest with you. And well, I mean, you know, it certainly sounds like there could be elements here of a toxic work environment, especially if you think that your employer is doing this with the you know with the hope that this will force you out uh, and make you resign then it certainly, I think, can be construed as a toxic workplace and allow you to claim constructive dismissal. Yeah, I really like my job. That's the, I don't think I should have to leave my job. You know, I'm, right. I'm, you know, I'm early 50s. The chance mm-hmm. of me getting on with another company at this age, uh, like I said, I put my time in. I, I'm more than a productive uh, worker, and, you know, I don't think I should be kicked out because of uh, shenanigans that was going on with uh, these two individuals. How long have you been there, Dave? Yeah, 27 years. Wow, Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, Yeah, no, and I mean, I I totally, I don't disagree with what you're saying. I I don't think it's fair, the situation you find yourself in, but I also don't think your employer is doing anything, you know, illegal by hiring your ex-wife either, unless, again, the point of hiring her is to force you out. Uh, if, they, if you're not willing to take that step, then I don't think you ha- you have many options available to you. Yeah. What, if he, yeah, what would he be looking at, though, if he decided to take that step? And if if it turned out to be a toxic work environment and he got uh, you got him out of there, what would he be looking at? Close to 24 uh, months, I would imagine, right? Something in that range, certainly. 20 to 24 yeah. months, I would say. So there's certainly, you know, if you wanted to go through this process, then there's certainly... Uh, it, something that makes it worthwhile to do so, but at the end of the day, you know you have to make the best decision that's uh, for yourself and your family. Yeah. Well, you know what, Dave? Give right. it some thought. Yeah, give it some thought and call uh, call Stan in a day or two once you've had a time to to, to ruminate on it for a bit, right? Yeah, Might I need something I to explore. I, I yeah, totally. Your expertise on that. Yeah, you're welcome, my friend, and, uh, you know, carry on, carrying on. But if you want to call afterwards, uh, after you've had a bit of time, do so, one 821 one 855 dave 821 and help at employmentlawyer.ca. We'll get to, uh, <laughs> pardon me, Rick here says, guys, uh, I've been with the company for seven months and have missed approximately two months of work. Most of the absences were because of medical issues and the others I advised the company about prior to taking time off. They didn't say anything. Now the company is taking the position I've been terminated for excessive absenteeism. Is this legal? Hmm. 
Uh, it certainly doesn't sound legal, and it also sounds like a human rights violation on the basis of your medical issues. So, you know, the, in law, there are two types of absences. There are, you know, culpable absenteeism and then incoupable, uncoupable absenteeism. Things like I have medical appointments I have to go to, that would fall under the latter group. It's not, you know, it's not you're missing work because you want to, it's because you have to. And an employer can never rely on those types of absences to substantiate any kind of termination. And even the tinge of that being relevant to the termination would make it a human rights violation. We'll take it from there, guys. It's been uh, one heck of a show. If you want to carry on and talk to Stan, it's a bit of a rough connection tonight, but that's okay. We'll have it all sorted for Wednesday for sure. But it doesn't mean you can't carry on anytime. This is the number, one 821 That's how you get a hold of Stan or Lior, a member of the team. You can always use help at employmentlawyer.ca as well. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca is the website. Use it. Absolutely free. Absolutely anonymous. But stick around. On Point returns with Arlene Bynum, and she's coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Global News Radio. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.